these uh, skills are not things that are written down. You mm -hmm. know, this is just basically, you know, grand, grandma, grandpa teaching, you know, mom and dad teaching, you know, son and daughter. And if, it, if that chain breaks, yeah. then that particular skill is lost. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Wine and More podcast. I'm your host, Howard Fletcher. I'm a real estate advisor with Engel and Folkers and Tysons, and I bring buyers and sellers of residential real estate together in the Washington metropolitan area, better known as the DMV. And in today's episode, I will be visiting with Deborah Myers of VirtuArt. VirtuArt is an internet company that helps its clients who value relationships invest in them by gifting unique handcrafted works of art. And Deborah gets these works of art from developing nations that are all over the world, but I'll let her tell you about that because she can do a much better job of it than I. As listeners of this podcast know, one of the things I love about the DMV is the diversity of culture and the variety of choices one has as a result of living here in such an eclectic mix. Deborah's journey on her way to founding her company is a perfect example of the wealth of edifying experiences that are available to those of us who live here and work here in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Deborah Myers of VirtuArt. This is Episode 5, VirtuArt, Developing a World of Gifting. I'm here on a beautiful Capitol Hill neighborhood on a day, uh, this is the day of the Michael Cohen hearing. So uh, this is probably one of the most busy days to come up to Capitol Hill, uh, but it was a nice drive in. And I'm here with Deborah Myers. And Deborah, uh, tell me about your business. What do you do? So I am the founder and CEO of VirtuArt. And so we work with artisans in developing countries, and I specifically chose developing countries. Uh, and then I import their jewelry, fashion accessories, which include scarves, shawls, handbags, those types of items, and home and office decor items. And then I work with individuals, businesses, organizations to help them uh, be more thoughtful gift givers and showing appreciation to their clients and employees. Wow. So tell me about yourself first. How did you decide to go into this business? Did you have a background in real retail or importing or tell me about it? Uh, no, I, I had no, this is kind of, I had no uh, experience in retail. No, as I tell people, no experience in retail, no experience in e-commerce websites or anything like that. I am originally from San Diego, California. Uh, my mother was Mexican and my father is American of German descent. Okay. I uh, graduated undergraduate from UCLA and then had the opportunity to come to Washington to work on the very first Reagan Bush inaugural. Wow. My, I was supposed to stay here, I, I volunteered, and I was supposed to stay here six weeks. And then at the end of the six weeks, I was offered a uh, position, and I decided that, well, okay, you know, that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. 
I spent the next two years working um, you know, at the Small Business Administration. Then I went over to the Department of Commerce, and I ended up then be, being seconded to the uh, to the um, Office of Public Liaison. And so I worked in the east or the West Wing of the of the White House. So after two years, I thought, okay, this has been a lot of fun. I did really interesting things but now I really have to think about whether you know what I'm going to do as a as a career and I got a phone call and went over to see the HR department of the Inter-American Development Bank which is like the World Bank but focuses mainly on Latin America and they offered me a job and so that's really where I started my interest in developing world issues I got my first uh, opportunities to travel, and I found that I just absolutely loved uh, traveling. And uh, and then, so through my travels, I was out uh, everywhere I went. I shopped because I wanted to see what was um, new, interesting, and, and unique for that particular location that I was in. I worked there 10 years, then I went into the private sector. I worked for a French company, multinational company, an American multinational company, and then a British multinational company. And all of those companies I still did, uh, worked in developing country issues, okay. which in, allowed me to travel and continue to you know, go to new places. And, uh, and again, you know, as I said, shop. I got to a point in my career about you know, I, when I went into the private sector about 15 years later and I was like, okay, this is a time that either I can continue doing the same thing that I'm doing because I was the last position I held was the head of government, uh, government affairs for the vaccine business of GlaxoSmithKline. Wow. And uh, so I said, okay, I can continue doing this or maybe this is the point where I say, okay, I need to do, I, it's time to do something completely different. Uh, I tried to do, continue to do the same thing, and uh, you know the universe has its way of, of um, letting you know. Yeah, things happening. Right. So I ended up taking a uh, severance package, and at the time I was living in um, Brussels, Belgium, and uh, moved back to the U.S. And then it was like, okay, now what am I? Now what am I going to do? <laughs> you know? I did some fundraising. I did consulting work. I worked for a nonprofit, but yet can't found my my passion. So as I said, I took a think weekend and said to people, "Don't call me. Uh, this is my weekend." And I asked myself the famous question of, "If you can do anything that you would like in life, irregardless of money, you know, what would that be?" And that is a pretty hard question to answer. Yeah. So I started out my list with a, a long uh, list of things that I didn't want to do. And then finally started moving into, okay, well, I still wanted to do something that was involved internationally. I still wanted to do something that I could travel, work with women, have an a economic development impact. And then it was, well, I'd like to shop. I have, you know, these items that I had purchased from different artisans. People were saying to me at the time, but didn't, it had to be tested that they liked my style. They, um, people would say, oh, where did you get that? You know, where did you get that? Could you get me one? Right. And so that's when I decided then, okay, maybe I can put my, my passion and my experience together and started working on what 
uh, evolved into Bertoir? Well, <laughs> let me say first that I'm going to have to come back and do a podcast with you about learning what to do when you want to make a career transition, because I think you did it very well. I mean, it was that, that little breakdown was, was excellent. Um, so what year was that? When did you make the decision to? So I made, I made the decision to, to leave um, GlaxoSmithKline at the end of 2007, early 2008. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Washington because this is where my, you know, my home mm-hmm. um, is, was. And I figured it, it well, and I, I had a, a circle of friends. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, that um, when I came back, see, I was coming in and out of Washington frequently, mm-hmm. and I was, I, I was traveling extensively uh, in, that, in my job. And I was changing, and so when I came back, I realized I had to rebuild my whole social network and my my network in general but my social network yes. because you know people had had moved on were doing different things and I was doing different things so that was pretty that was also a, a rude awakening because yeah. I figured I'd just come back and you know and just start you know right in where, I had, where you left off yeah where yeah. I left off so um so it took 2008 and then 2009 to well, 2008 was, as I was, as I said, you know, going along and trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then when I decided to start Bertort, I started from scratch, uh-huh. you know, so from zero. And so it took me much longer to get everything into place than I had anticipated. And people, when I started talking about this, said, just, re- you know, it will take you longer than you think. And I was like, Oh no, not me. (laughs) (laughs) So it did. And I, uh, so officially launched in 2010, you know, where, but let me tell you, I mean, that in itself, I had, you know, a website built that, you know, really didn't work. And, you know, so there were a lot of, you know, bumps, hills, you know, setbacks along the way. Yeah. My, my question was going to be, how did your business evolve from what you first thought you were going to do, your first uh, uh, epiphany of, of this new you, and what has gone along the way? How, how has it developed along the way? So I was quite naive when I started because I believe like a number of people who start a, a small business mm-hmm. and particularly at that time where the internet was still it was it was not brand new but still evolving in terms right. of how it was going to be used in a business so my view was okay I'm gonna have a website I'm gonna have my products on 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 my website and people will find me and they'll just buy right well no yeah and I am, I'm still not, but I'm more comfortable now, but I was not a networker. Uh-huh. I had all of my positions had been where I was, you know, behind the scenes, putting together events, promoting, you know, the president of the division or the president of the company. So I was not the, the out front face of the, of the business. So networking just was not comfortable for me at all. I was not comfortable uh, going to places that I didn't know. Uh-huh. I mean, I didn't know anybody. 
um, you know, then talking about my business. I could make every excuse in the book uh, why not to go. I would sign up for one and then I'd say, oh, it's, I'm, it's too cold. Oh, it's raining. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, you know. But one day, probably about a year, a year and a half into, I was making some sales, but I realized that people didn't know me. People didn't know my company. People didn't know my brand uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. I wasn't a Nordstrom's. I wasn't a you know, Saks. And how did I expect, if people didn't know me, how did I expect them to come to a website and trust? And this was before we really had all these issues of um, you know, hacking and identity theft. And t- trust that... I was who I said I was and that if they put their credit card information in that they A, were going to get the item that they thought they were going to get and B, that I wasn't going to scam them. Right, right. So that was really at the first point that I realized, okay, I have to get out and network, which was, as I said, scary for me. Uh, So the one... Area. One, one group that has really helped me is BNI, mm-hmm. you know, Business Networking International, I guess is the, the title of it. And I was invited to go to, to one as a guest. And um, I thought, oh, this isn't for me. Because, of course, it was all the, all the things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. Right, right. And a friend of mine, she uh, had been in one group and and, and then joined another group and called me up and she goes, oh, I think this would be really good for you. And uh, so I went and I strung it out longer than you're supposed to. And I kept going back and I kept going back as a guest, you know, and then right. finally they just said, look, either you have to join <laughs> or you can't come back. You know, that's right. the bottom line. Uh, so I said, okay, I, you know, for a year, mm-hmm. I, I'll do this for a year and I will see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the end of the year, if I don't want to... Uh, rejoin I don't have to that first year was just uh, was an incredible growth experience for me personally because I had to so one I was now committed to go someplace every single week mm-hmm. so I had to get out of my house be uh, outside be you know no longer behind hiding behind my computer so that was really important secondly I had to talk to people I didn't know thirdly I had to talk about my business and it took me a good nine months because I say my business is not your typical, you know, B&I type of business. I'm not the plumber. I'm not the mover. I'm not the insurance person. So it took me a good nine months to start talking about how to talk about my business, uh-huh. that it would click with people. And once it clicked, then I, you know, then I could see the potential of, of that kind of a group. At the same time, I uh, so I started out again, just wanting, just you know, going to sell product to people, and I was working with somebody who was involved in marketing, and and he said to me, okay, what what differentiates you from you know other people who sell items from you know develop artisans from developing countries? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know, you right. know. <laughs> And so he said to me, so why don't you think about the whole angle of gift giving? Because he said, for most people, you know, gift giving is an obligation. It's a chore. They dislike it. They don't know what to do. 
And he said, if you can get people to really start thinking about, you know, gift giving as a way to strengthen their personal and business relationships through thoughtful gift giving, not, you know, buying a gift card or, you know, giving something promotional with their logo on it. That could be a really um, great, you know, differentiator right. in terms of, of your business. So I started moving in that you know, in that direction, and it has been extremely rewarding for oh, me. Good. We'll be right back after this. I'll say it again. I love making this podcast. It's a fantastic way to meet new people and to learn more about this area, the DMV, that I love so much. This episode was recorded at a beautiful row house on Capitol Hill, and that's a part of town that I absolutely adore. Did you know that last month, that would be January of 2019, that the average selling price of a house on Capitol Hill increased 24% over January of the previous year? In short, folks, what I'm trying to tell you is that houses are selling at a premium in the middle of winter. That means it's a great time to sell. So if you're thinking of selling a home or buying a home or both, please call me, Howard Fletcher of Engel and Folkers. I would love to discuss your options with you and to tell you the market value of the, your current home or the houses of the neighborhoods that you're considering moving to. You can reach me at my email, which is howard.fletcher at evusa.com or call me at 301-233-2845. My information is always in the show notes. Or just Google my name, Howard Fletcher, along with real estate, or Howard Fletcher, along with podcasts, and I guarantee I'll be the first one on the page. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about your, at your business. Okay. Let's talk about the developing countries first. Okay. Now, you, uh, your background, your, your story, first thing I must say, as a native Washingtonian, that is a Washington story. I don't know many <laughs> cities uh, in the country where, and it's very typical of people who live and work and have spent a lot of years in Washington, uh, working for a government event or for the government and then going into the nonprofit sector and then going to work for agencies. And it gives you a big, a wide range. That's why I love this town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it gives you a wide range of experience. It's a very international city. And you were able, through your uh, uh, experiences and your jobs, to actually go to these countries. Right. So what defines a, a developing nation to you? How do you choose the countries that, obviously, I guess you're not going to Paris to go get anything. Right. So what, what's your criteria to choose a, a country? Well, as I said, so when I started my international career working at the Inter-American Development Bank. Uh -huh. So I, I classified developing countries as you know, not Europe, uh, not the U.S., not Canada, um, not Australia, New Zealand. So what... you you know, the higher income countries, uh -huh. I guess. Now, some countries that I would still classify. The G8, <laughs> the G8 yeah, the G8, but then, you know, um, even some countries in um, what was formerly Eastern Europe, you know, are now, you know, to the 
to the point that I wouldn't consider them or classify them as developing yeah. countries. So I really, I spent a lot of time in, in the, what I call the lower income countries. So I have traveled to and spent time in 72 countries. Wow. And I've been in, you know, in Africa, Latin America, Asia. I haven't really spent that much time in the Middle, in the Middle East. Um, I've been to Jordan but uh, the Middle East is just a really difficult place for a woman, as you would, can imagine, yeah. to, you know, to travel. And then a lot of the issues that have been happening in the 90s and the 2000s you know, just make it uh, you know, not a place to, um, to travel to. And, uh, but some of those countries like you know, Saudi Arabia and um, the um, you know, d- area where Dubai is, those are really developed yeah. countries, yes. too. Yeah. You know, so there's... Kuwait, you know, no. Yeah. Exactly. So I, uh, so I guess I classify, you know, countries that still are, you know, struggling mm-hmm. to uh, have a, you know, a viable workforce, uh, creating jobs, and aren't, you know, uh, struggling with issues of, of hunger and, and starvation. Now, at one point when I... You know, in the 80s, when I was working at the um, at the American Development Bank, Venezuela was you know was a highly developed country mm-hmm. and seemed to be going in you know in the direction that it would move out you know move out as you know as South Korea has moved out of being classified as a, a you know a developing country, but you know we see what's happening now and it's mm-hmm. just you know it's really sad. It's just really sad to see that you know a country with so many natural resources is just really. So when you go in these countries and you seek out these artisans that are creating the the, the items that you put you sell, mm-hmm. um, do you buy do you try to buy direct from them? How does that how does that usually work? I yeah, it, it, so it depends. So I yes, I try and buy directly from them mm-hmm. because then I know the money is going directly to yes. you know to them, mm-hmm. which is a critical. Sometimes they are members of a co-op or uh, some type of a you know an organization, uh, which then I will deal with them. And sometimes that's easier because that uh, entity then can has easier times of shipping product, and um, you know and dealing with all the issues that have to be dealt with in terms of you know exporting from a you know, from a country. Um, I will go. Uh, and um, I will travel to, uh, you know, I'll visit, because I'm looking for, also I'm looking for higher end pieces. So yes. I'm not looking for the things that you would find at your airports or, you know, those souvenir type mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. things. So I will go and visit um, museum shops. I'll go to the national museums. I'll go to museum shops. I'll go to the high end um, hotel boutiques and look at what they have there. I've gone to galleries. I was in South Africa. I went to, um, I was in um, Franschhoek, which is like the wine, you know, this town within the wine area of um, the Western Cape and went into a, um, into a gallery and fell in love with some blown glass pieces. And so they helped me then to connect with the artist. And then I was able to, I've been able to purchase, you know, from the, uh, from the artist. I also have uh, friends who have uh, who live in various countries that are always on the on the lookout, mm-hmm. and then the other so there's other two other big, I guess shows I would say that um, that I go to. So 
in July in Santa Fe, they hold the International Folk Art Market, mm. which uh, the International Folk Art Alliance brings in artisans from all over the world. So they do bring some some from Europe, and but all over the world for a four-day kind of outdoor market to sell their, um, their products. And they're very much um, on the same mission as mine in terms of they want to help these artisans uh, generate a sustainable income so that they're passing down the traditions, their traditional skills from generation to generation. Because this is something that I also found as I was working in these countries. And uh, therefore, you're preserving their culture. They had, in certain places, they've gotten to the point that the younger generations don't see that they can make a sustainable income by learning the carving or the jewelry making or the weaving. So what they do is they end up trying to migrate out of the, the villages into the big city to get better jobs right. and then many times end up in worse situations than if they had stayed uh, in, their, in their village. And these uh, skills are not things that are written down. You know, mm -hmm. this is just basically, you know, grand, grandma, grandpa teaching, you know, mom and dad teaching, you know, son and daughter. And if, it, if that chain breaks, yeah. then that particular skill is lost and, and then very hard to, to uh, reconstruct or, you know, rejuvenate. And, at, and then, because some of these, most of these, these skills and these products are ingrained in their culture, so countries are then losing you know, pieces of their culture. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's also one of the reasons why I selected you know, developing countries is because, it's, for me, I believe it's really important that, that they maintain these skills and they maintain, so that they maintain their culture. The other, there's a group also that has put together a show in New York in um, August. And so I will go there. So both at, in Santa Fe and um, uh, in New York, I just, oh, I'll I, just go, I'll, I'll walk the aisles. I'll just walk the aisles and yeah. see product and, you know, and, and what catches my eye, talk to the artist and, and, um, or, and, or, you know, the people that are working with them. And so that's also how I find uh, product. Now, I assume, like most retailers or, or uh, people who have shops, there are some pieces there are, or items that become pop more popular than others. Absolutely. When you have something that's very popular and it sells out or you want to maintain that on your website, mm -hmm. how does that go? Do you have to return to that country or have you been able to set up a, some way to be able to make that transaction overseas? I, yes. So I've now set up a way to make that transaction um, and so that's also a really uh, crucial question because um, so when I see something, people ask me, so I don't bargain with the artists. Uh -huh. My, again, because my whole mission is to help them generate sustainable income. And so by going in and saying, no, I'm not going to pay X, I'll pay you Y, defeats the whole purpose. Right. So I don't bargain. I ask them what their price is, and then, of course, I need to do a rough calculation in terms of uh, shipping and all the other costs that I have to put into it uh, to see if I can, in fact, charge a price that makes sense. And then I also have to remember, you know, re remember what else I have that may be similar because I can't have something that, say, that's two pieces that are similar and one's priced at $100 and the other priced at $20. That, right. again, doesn't, you know, that won't work. 
if I can't make it work, then I explain to the artist, oh, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I won't buy it because mm -hmm. again, I don't want to bargain with them. I don't, I view that as also devaluing, you know, their work. They put time, they put effort. There's a, you know, there's a lot of costs, uh, costs and then it's not just monetary, but other resources that go into it. And, and that's just not, for me, it's not fair. Sure. Uh, so then, so then becomes the question when I reorder, I am very careful to make sure that when I, if I increase the volume, that I will be able to maintain the volume. Because again, as, as the volume is increasing, they're teaching new people skills. And if I can't maintain it, then once again, I am defeating my whole purpose. Yes. Of, and what I, and I, what I have seen by major retailers, and this is one of the reasons why I don't sell to major retailers, is because they're very um, fickle is the best way. You know? So they'll see something, but it's only for you know, a season or two. It's right. not... It, they're not going to be developing a, a long-term relationship with the artist, yes. which is what I'm I'm doing. And a retail, a major retailer is looking for a large quantity of something, and then that's it. They won't come back. You know. Right. So in order for that group or that artist to be able to to meet the order, he or she needs to train a number of people, and then that's it. And so then these people have had the you know anticipation, oh. expectation that they will be continuing to work in this area. And when the retailer doesn't come back, it's just not there. So that's why for me, it's very, very important to continue as I increase my volumes to be able to maintain you know, that particular volume. Now, have some of these artists who have been able to grow their work because of your efforts been able to then also use that developed skill of larger scale production to sell to other uh, yes, people? Yes, right, which is, you know, which is ultimately what I, you know, what we want is sure. that they, um, that they increase their, their business. Yeah. So yes, the answer is yes. And so for, for me, you know, for, for Virtue Art then, so then there are certain pieces that are just made, you know, for uh, Virtue Art. Mm -hmm. And yes, and then they do, you know, they've increased their, you know, you know, customer base, which is fantastic. Wow. And plus then also, as you see, they, you know, they are generating income. So then you see them and, you know, their ability to, you know, send their children to school, have better health care, yes. you know, improve their homes, you know. Yes. And uh, so that's all part of what, you know, originally when I said I wanted to do something that had an economic development impact, this is that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a large part also, or a part of uh, as I'm sure you know your your marketing. You know, right. of what of, you know, to do business with you. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, at least I know myself, and a lot of other people look for that. Right. Well, and I'm so. you know, and I, I tell the stories, yeah. and when somebody buys something from Virtual Art. Whether it's you know for personal use or you know as a gift, there they will get a card, a handwritten card that talks about the artist, how the product was made, and where it came from, which is again something that I started 
early on as a, you know, to differentiate myself. Mm -hmm. And the handwritten, the cards are handwritten. And uh, what happened was that those cards became a really important part of the whole experience. Absolutely. So people who came, you know, then were repeat customers, the first thing they would say to me, and of course the card's going to be in the box. <laughs> right, know? right. And I'd say, Where's my yes, card? Yeah. Yes, the card will be, you know, will be in the, in the box. So yeah, for me, it is very important. And on my website, you know, is the stories of the artists and, you, you know, how to connect, and you can connect from product to, you know, to artist. Mm -hmm. And that was also a really important part of, you know, for me, of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, but going back to what I said about not when I started not being comfortable being the the face of the business, mm -hmm. so I said, "This is not about me. This is about my artists. This is you know this is about the products." Mm -hmm. And then, as a small business owner, and I had to learn that I had to it had to be I had to be the face. Yes. Because, and even now my website is being redone, but it's difficult it was difficult and is difficult to find me mm -hmm. you know on the you know on the website but mm -hmm. i've become more comfortable with that <laughs> well yeah. you're, you're certainly a fine advocate for the for these artists and uh as somebody who used to pull, play around with paint <laughs> and i'm not a painter but i play around <laughs> with paint um you know i know how and i have a lot of friends who are artists as a result i know how important that is to have a patron out there or someone in your corner so mm -hmm. that's to be lauded um, I know that when we spoke, uh, when I first met you, mm -hmm. that you have a, a trip coming up right. to go uh, buy some stuff. Yeah. Um, are you, do you have a, is this a trip where you know where you're going and you know what artists you're going to see, or are you just going to see what's there? So this trip I'm going, I, it's being sponsored by the International Folk Art Alliance. Mm -hmm. So this group out of uh, Santa Fe. Okay. And so we're going to Oaxaca, Mexico. Uh, Oaxaca is in the southern interior part of um, Mexico, and it is a place that I've wanted to visit for a long time. As I said earlier, my mother was Mexican. I've been to Mexico, mm -hmm. but you know, I hadn't, I have not been able to get down to the southern area. And Oaxaca is very well known as a center for handcrafted art. So um, last year, I took a trip with the sponsored by the same group to Cuba. And the woman who was the uh, who who was the guide on that trip uh, said she was putting this trip together for Oaxaca, and I didn't even think <laughs> twice. I just said, "Put me on the list." Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so they have uh, decided the artists that we're going to go and visit, mm. and some of them I know of. And I and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go from the Santa Fe show. Is that how yeah. you know of them? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to go. Uh, I wanted to see their work. Uh, also, you know, for many years now, uh, I had, you know, Paul and I had collected these um, hand carved wooden um, kind of mythical animals that also are very, uh, and then hand-painted in very bright colors and things. And those also come from Oaxaca, very well you know, known in, in, um, from that area. So there were just, I knew there was a number of um, different items. And then 
the woman who's going to guide us, she is a ceramicist herself, and she had lived in um, in Oaxaca for a couple of years. So I knew she would really know, you know, where to go. Yeah. So I'm leaving uh, a week from this coming Tuesday, so the 12th of, of March. I'll be there for 10 days. Uh, the trip itself is eight days, so we're going to spend five days in in the city of Oaxaca, and then three days out in the countryside visiting uh, artists. And then I decided to, to stay two extra days because I, if, I, if I see people that I want to um, talk to, I want to be able to go back mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, and spend some time with them and, um, and you know, see more of their work. And also what's really great is that these artists will be, uh, we'll be able to see them you know, making the um, you know the various um, pieces, so I'm really excited about this yeah. trip. And then people have told me that Oaxaca has become a food destination, uh -oh. so um, so that's just kind of an added bonus yeah. for me. I mean, yeah. I love Mexican food, yes. so you, so I don't care whether it was going to be you know you know high end cuisine or not. I just love Mexican food. You know? wow. So Oaxaca is it is it in the in in the mountains or is it on the coast? No, it's in the mountains. It's in the mountains. Yeah. Okay, wow, that's yeah. excellent. Okay, well, I don't want to end this without doing two things. One, let everyone know how they can find Virtue Art, find okay. you, and also give them a little description of, of what kind of pieces that you have on the website right now and what maybe what you hope to, if there's anything out there that you're hoping to find that you haven't gotten yet. Okay, uh, so the web, you can find Virtue Art at virtuart.com, and it's V I R T U. A-R-T-E dot com. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And what you'll find on the website is you'll find jewelry from... So on the website right now, there's probably works from maybe 45 different artists from 20 some different uh, countries. So you'll find jewelry, you'll find silver, you'll find uh, brass, and things made out of, um, you know, resin. Uh, and one of the things I understand is that there is a, a artist in Oaxaca that makes jewelry out of paper. Wow. And so I'm really excited and interesting <laughs> to, interested to see that because mm. that would be something completely um, new. And I do have some... Um, Customers who like um, very, you know, statement pieces, yes. but also then want them light, you know. So this could be a really great, um, you know, item for them. You will find, as I said, uh, what I call fashion accessories. So scarves, shawls, uh, some handbags, uh, cosmetic bags, items in that area. And then what I call my home and office decor items. So you'll see wood carvings, you'll see um, ceramics, you'll see uh, baskets, uh, things made out of from Haiti, uh, recycled steel drum, uh, reverse painted glass boxes from Peru. So there's just a wide array. And I will also, I will be looking for um, more of home and office decor because as I work with businesses those are really the items that they're looking for in terms of giving as you know board gifts or client thank you gifts so we're, we are definitely uh, that area is, is going to be expanding okay 
One last thing I would like to say. Please. So, um, I will be doing at the end of April, on the 30th of uh, April, uh, an, an event here uh, at, I call my gallery in, um, on Capitol Hill to talk about my trip to Oaxaca, to see, to show pictures and probably some videos of, of the artists that I take and probably have the, I'm believing now will be margaritas, but whatever the, the drink is that, um, that, you know, is the traditional drink and food. And so if you're interested, we will be putting up the information on the website, also on our Facebook page. So please uh, check it out. And if you inclined to come, we'd love to have you. Well, Deborah Myers, I'd like to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for inviting me to your lovely home. Uh, I will definitely be checking out for when that exhibition is going to be. All right. Um, looking forward to the hearing scene with the drinking Oaxaca is. <laughs> it might be margaritas, who knows. Um, and uh, thanks a lot. Good luck on your trip. Thank Travel you safely. And um, I want to tell everyone, I, I've been to the website. It, there's some great items there, so I'd highly recommend that you go see it. Thank you very much, Deborah. Thank you. Well, that's another show and another reason why I love the DMV. I would like to thank Deborah Myers for being on the show and inviting me in her lovely home. If you have an interest in learning more about virtual art and Debbie's awesome selection of gifts, please check the show notes. The company's website is listed there and it'll be well worth your time. Listen, I would love to hear from you. If you want to contact me about real estate or this podcast, please email me at howard.fletcher at evusa.com. Something you can do that'll help me a whole lot, especially if you listen to me on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, is to please rate this episode and also subscribe. If you like it, please tell your friends about it and ask them to give me a listen too. I would very much appreciate it. I want to grow this podcast as much as possible because, as you know, I want to take over the world. The Real Estate Wine and More podcast is a production of the Fletcher Group Incorporated, made in association with Engel and Folkers, Tysons and Lansdowne. Music for this episode was supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in the Boulder or Denver, Colorado areas, go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The Real Estate Wine and More podcast was written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher, your friendly neighborhood real estate advisor. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.